Hi, I'm Anne-Marie Cannon, and you're listening to The Last Train Leaving Belgium podcast. While they were inside, a bomb bombed the town center. You're listening to part three of the Odette Wynn interviews. My mother only recognized her from her shoes. You're not going to want to miss this. Stay tuned to find out what happens. Hello, and welcome to the Last Train Leaving Belgium podcast. This is a supplemental limited series podcast that is meant to accompany the soon-to-be-released documentary. Stay up to date with the latest news on the documentary as well as the podcast on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast platform, If you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. All those actions bump us up in the algorithms of the website, which in turn makes it easier for people to find us. Today we pick up where we left off. Last time in the Odette Wynn interviews. My cousin Odette and I continue talking about the family legacy in Belgium in World War II, her family's heroic efforts during the war working for the resistance, and we continue to talk about our childhoods and compare notes on what it was like to grow up in the United States as first-generation Americans, children of Belgian World War II survivors. Now, do you speak French? No, I wish. Me too. So mad at our parents for not enforcing that when we were well, kids. Okay, let's compare notes here. My parents, when they wanted to talk at the dinner table about something that they didn't want us to know about, they would speak in French to each other. Mine, not so much, because, you know, the first six years of my life, anyway, we lived mostly in Europe. The first six years of my life, I spoke French, and so did my brothers. But when we came back to uh, Fayetteville the last time, my brothers, who were much older, said they would not speak to my parents in French anymore. We were in America, and we were going to speak English from now on. Oh, my goodness. So the French just totally stopped, and I've lost all of it. But it was my actual original language. You might be wondering why I do not know these basic details of Odette's life, but I just want to remind you I have not spoken to my cousin in approximately 46 years. So, and actually the last time that I spoke to her, we were both around eight years old. So this is all new information to me. And in spite of that fact, I quickly connected to Odette. I felt a kinship with her, almost like we had always been friends. So where were you born? I was born in Munich, Germany. But your father was with the um, U.S. military? or Yes, he was with the Special Forces. They trained in uh, Batolz, Germany. He came yeah. with a lot of knowledge and experience, apparently, to that yes. job. Yes, they actually, the American 
Remember back in part two of the Odette Wynn interviews, Sully Fontaine was Odette's father. After the war, he is recruited by the American military. He becomes what was known back then as a Green Beret. Today, we refer to that branch of the military as Special Forces. Military, our army, was recruiting a lot of men that served in World War II to start up the special forces because that's part of what made them special is most of them were foreign speaking, you know, knew of the the different countries. So when they had war conflict in those countries, sending these men in undercover was a lot easier because they blended in better in these countries. One of my father's best friends in special forces was from Czechoslovakia and another one from Germany. You know, they were from all over different countries that we would need intelligence from. So the original special forces, a lot of them were foreign born military, you know. So what ends up happening, you know, with your mother in the war and how does that all play out? Well, they were occupied by the Germans for, what, four or five years. You know, like I said, for my mother, life kind of went back to normal. She went back to school. She was working. Now, her boyfriend, she ended up breaking up with him. He was captured by the Germans, and he escaped. And after he escaped, he didn't want to go out or do anything anymore. And so they, she ended up breaking up with him because he was no fun. <laughs> One of the things I love about these stories about Renee is there is such a sense of, you know, adapting to the new normal, life goes on. Renee is a person who has a lively spirit and she's going to make the best of any situation. In spite of the war, life goes on. There's a lot we can learn from Renee in this day of uh, the pandemic, sheltering in place, and that is, there is a new normal, and we need to make peace with it, do our part to contribute to the solution, suit up and show up and doggone it, figure out how to have some fun. But she did, after he escaped, when he was in hiding, she snuck over against her parents' wishes, to the farm where he was hiding at. They were hiding in a cellar in the farm. And she got trapped there actually for a couple of weeks because the Germans came and searched the farm. And so they had to go, you know, stay in the cellar and not come out. And the farmer and his wife would bring them food and stuff. And the Germans kept coming back because they kept hearing there were people hiding there, but they couldn't find them. And so she was stuck in this cellar with uh, probably five other people for a couple of weeks. Oh my goodness. When did, when did you start to realize like the, the brevity of this story, like this, that this was your mother's story. This was your father's story. Um, was it, were you young or was it older? Cause I know that you and I didn't, you know, we were never really connected until Facebook, which I love about Facebook. Yes. And then, and then we connect and then we both find out that we have this interest and passion in the story about our shared history. So how old were you when you started realizing this story, I guess? Well, like I said, when I was 15 and my mom and I went through the safe and found the diary, that really piqued my interest at that age. And of course, at that time, she was working full time. 
trying to keep her family going. And so she didn't have a whole lot of time to tell me the stories. But then eventually she wrote her book. And then, you know, as I'm raising my child and going through life, I wasn't that interested either. But later on, I was fortunate enough to be my mother's caretaker for the last couple of months of her life. And we actually talked quite a bit. And she told me some of these stories and some of them that aren't even in the book or a little bit different from the book. It was quite interesting for me. And that really piqued my interest. And then after she passed, going through old photographs and notes and things she had written, it was just... I've been interested ever since, unfortunately, not being able to get much further than what I already had in place. So this last train leaving Belgium is helping me get more information as well. Oh, cool. Well, I think you have a lot of info. I'm learning a lot from this conversation. Can I just tell you what Odette just said there means the world to me? If nothing else comes out of this, joining our collective knowledge filling in the gaps of what we know, that is everything. Okay, we're going to switch gears here for a minute. I'm going to talk about the circumstances in my life that actually brought me into this story in 2011. Of course, for me, it was much later. You know, there, there was always a story in the background. Like I said, it was like a family legend. You know, right. I'd always heard the story about my mother fleeing, the legend is the last train. We will never know if it was really the last train. You know, that's the legend. I'm always aware of those two realities. Like there's the truth, there's what we know, and then there's the legend. So uh, the legend is the last train leaving Belgium. Um, but I didn't really think about it really until I was in grad school in 2011 is when I started thinking about this because well, you know how my mother was. She wasn't the easiest person, uh, <laughs> you know. And so she was coming to visit me. You never knew what you were going to get with my mother. I think she had started getting sick. So she was, you know, illness brings out a lot of our worst character flaws. And so I was like, I just don't know what I'm going to do with her because, you know, I was always walking on eggshells around her a lot of times. And so I thought, oh, I want to do a podcast because I have to do it for a project for school. I'm just going to let her talk all the time while she's here. I turned on my recorder and then, you know, that was pretty much it. And that's how I started really learning this story. And then I was fortunate enough to be living in uh, London in 2012. You know, my mother, she was always talking about her next trip. She had Wonderlust. And so she wanted to come visit me when I was in London. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this as, a, as an opportunity. And going to, I took her to Belgium. We went to France. We went to all the places where she was born. We went to where our great, great grandmother lived. And I just started filming and interviewing her. And so that gave me that really immersed me into this. And it also, I felt he, was healing for my mother in a lot of ways, because what I saw in my mother when we went back there, there was like an innocence that came out in her that I had never in my life seen. And what I relate it to is that's where she lost her innocence. That's where she became this kind of hard, very tenacious woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've been working on this ever since. So 
I'm really like grateful that you're willing to talk to me about it and share your knowledge. Hopefully our kids, our grandkids will, this will be on their radar and they'll know the story, pass it down to their kids. And it's a, it's a harrowing uh, legacy that we share. Yeah. They, uh, I tell you, that's, there's a reason they call them the greatest generation. They persevered through so much. You know, and I'm hoping that what's going on now, there'll be some positive, you know, perseverance that we see after this is over with. So let me ask you this question. How, in hindsight, you know, obviously you have your experience with your mother and the person that she became. Do you think that the war had something to do with, like, her personality and the person she became? And... You know, I see in my mother, she was very tough. She was resilient. She was not, she would not let herself be vulnerable. And that's the way that she protected herself. And that was one of the big things I think she got out of being seven years old and going through that experience. So do you think that there is something about your mother's personality that was formed by the war? She was very uh, in ingenuitive, I guess is the word I'm looking for. She could make something out of nothing. Uh, she used to have a saying, and yeah, I'm, I'm guessing this is from when my grandfather was away at war or after he came back, he was a different person as well. She would say that if a man tells you it can't be done, a woman will figure out a way to do it. That's awesome. And that was, you know, kind of her thing on, uh, on things and being very frugal. You know, the other kids were getting the uh, bubbles with the little plastic thing and the plastic mom would get dish detergent and a coat hanger. And that was our bubbles. Oh, you know, true. um, she was always able to make something out of nothing, something she never ate carrots just as carrots because they ate so many rotten carrots during the war. She wasn't a big corn person because that was pig food. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so just, just for interesting things. It's so ironic and such a cliche all those things that Odette said about her mother were also true about my mother. They were all the things that I disdained as a child and a teenager. The resourcefulness, recycling before it was in vogue. Today, those are all lessons that I learned that I cherish and that I, I'm proud of myself for this intuitive resourcefulness that was instilled in me because of my mother's experiences in Belgium and France during the war. The one thing that really came out at her one time, we went to the 1996 Olympics oh. in, in Atlanta. And if you remember, that's the Olympics that they had the bombing at the oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. Well, we were at that venue like three hours before the bombing. Oh my goodness. So the next day we decided we were going to go ahead and go to the baseball game. Um, and while we were at the game, we started noticing police helicopters flying over and the police blimp flying over. And so my mom was, you know, getting nervous and we had a radio with us to get updates. We brought it with us because of the bombing. And they were saying that the MARTA system, which is the massive transport system in Atlanta, uh, that some stations were closing down doing, due to bomb threats. So we're leaving this venue and the station that we need to go to to get back to our car is already shut down. The next station is about a mile further down the road. Now I have my son and one of his friends with him. 
and we're walking and the kids are of course lollygagging my mom turns around and i mean with absolute fear in her face looks at them and says do y'all know what a bomb could do i've seen what a bomb could do now move it and she got them boys i mean fast tracking to the next marta she did not want to be there if there was a bomb wow so it shows that she still had that childhood fear of what a bomb could do i had a really interesting experience with my mother uh when we were in uh la roche sur -Yon. A week or two after my mother's family gets to La Roche-sur-Yon, of course, France is occupied by the Germans. This town, because of where it's situated, becomes a military base for the Germans. And when I'm talking about interviewing my mother, I'm, I have her on camera, and she's telling me a story about a bakery that her and her brother were at, and a run-in they have with a German soldier. If you want to know more about this story, go back and listen to episode one, or wait for the documentary to come out and watch the actual interview. Or better yet, do both. Um, I was interviewing her and she was going on and on and telling me a really interesting story. And all of a sudden she stops talking and she's kind of looking to the side and I look and apparently there was an old lady there and she shut down and I'm like, what's going on? Why, 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 why did you stop talking? And she said, um, well, that woman, I didn't want to, she said, I didn't want to bring back bad feelings or bad memories for her, which I thought was really interesting. And so I don't know about your mom, but my mom wouldn't really talk about what happened in the past until she got older. The past is the past she used to say. I don't dwell on it, that's what she used to say. But I think that it controlled her her behavior for years and years and years, probably till she died. Um, but I do, you know, that is one thing about my mother that you mentioned about your mother. My mom was really resourceful. And see, you had a more positive attitude about the way your mother did things. But I was like, we, you remember Oleo, the plastic Oleo things? That was our Tupperware. And I always thought, why can't you just get Tupperware? That's what all the other kids do. They have Tupperware. You know, and now I find myself doing the same thing. You know, right. Saving. Well, see, I was the same with my mom making my clothes you know and yeah. knitting sweaters for me it's like why can't i have one from kmart mom <laughs> and not only that at the end of this winter she would undo all the knitting for the sweater that she had did and next year you would get a sweater with half of that color in it and half a new color in it <laughs> that's to amazing. mix it up a little bit <laughs> oh my god see how resourceful that's how that's we need to get back to some of that you know we, I, we need we need to be more like that. We're so wasteful. Yes. And I think Mother Nature's giving us a little wake-up call right now. I have a feeling things may change. Yeah, uh, I hope for the better. You know, and I do have a lot of that in me. Like, you know, we have a pantry full of, you know, um, noodles and things like that that we don't use. And it's like, well, now I can, I'm pretty creative. And I think I get that from my mother. Like, I can make something out of nothing. I almost like a challenge like that.
you know? Yes. You know, sometimes I watch some of these chef shows where they give you certain ingredients. I'm thinking I could probably go into any kitchen USA and make a meal out of whatever they have in there. (laughs) Right, right, right. We're going to switch gears again. And I have to warn you that the following stories get a little bit dark. Uh, You know the movie Saving Private Ryan? Yes. You've seen it. Yeah. At the beginning of the movie, when they're landing on Normandy, my mom and I went to the theater to see this together, which we never went to the theater together. Uh, She's sitting next to me, you know, at the beginning where Tom Hanks is landing and then you kind of get that slow motion special effects with the bullets, you know, kind of zooming by him. And, you know, I'm just thinking special effects. My mom elbows me and she goes, you know what that is? And I said, special effects. She goes, no, that's what shell shock is. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, my mom felt shell shock, you know. And then later on in the movie, there's a man on a stretcher and his he's got a uh, abdominal injury and his intestines are falling out. He's grabbing them with his hands and shoving them back in his stomach. My mom elbows me again. I've seen a man do that. And, you know, that's when it hit me how close to the war it was because most of the stories she told me before that were you know the resistance or you know going to the theater and you know trying to get back to a normalcy she never and even in her book she doesn't mention when or where these things happened so i'm sure there's a lot of what went on during that time that she never even talked about or wrote about it's interesting because my mother would never watch a movie like that with us Growing up, we always watched a lot of the wartime movies. Yeah, you have a lot of uh, information. I wish I had more information. You know, the focus of this documentary is really from, you know, my mother's perspective as a child. Right. And I don't really have a whole lot more than that. Are you okay? Yeah, just got a little emotional there. That is very emotional stuff. I I really appreciate uh, you allowing yourself to be vulnerable because it's real. Um, You know, and that I'm not good with the history, but I love history. I'm more uh, interested. I'm a storyteller. I'm more interested in the stories about people. Right. So that's, you know, that's where this is, you know, it's not one of those war films that talks about all the, you know, military maneuvers that are going on and, you know, that kind of stuff. But this is more about um, these stories and how they affect us. Because really, uh, Last Train Leaving Belgium is from my perspective, with some of it being from my mother's, but it's from my perspective as being her daughter. Right. Well, I think you're doing a beautiful job of it. You're so sweet. Thank Uh, you. Another quick little clip that something mom told me when my grandfather was in prison, uh, he was in a a POW camp in Germany. They were able to send letters and packages to him and receive letters as well. Uh, They would send packages with socks and chocolates and coffee and tobacco for cigarettes. Well, he would get the package and he would usually just get the letter, maybe a cigarette or two or, you know, because the Germans would steal everything. So he would, you know, write another letter saying, mail extra socks, extra coffee, you know, extra tobacco, Mm -hmm. whatever, chocolate. And uh, I think only a couple of times he wrote back and said, well, I got some of the chocolate and tobacco this time. (laughs) 
That was but, nice yeah, the Germans German would steal everything. Yeah. Well, because they were, you know, that's another story to be told by someone else. But, um, you know, they were they were struggling. They were human beings. They were forced in a situation. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, you know, people automatically, th you know, hate all Germans or whatever. But, you know, let's say we were living in that country when Hitler was the president, which, you know, we're, we're getting close. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what do you do as a citizen or these people that are already in the military, if this turned out to be another Hitler that we've got now or whatever, they still have to serve. Otherwise, they're going to be killed or, or whatever. Well, yeah. else. So, now, some I of them, about, I think, took advantage. Yeah. Well, I think we all do different things. And I think what your mother did was extremely admirable and she did it in the face of criticism from her people who she was trying to help you know the other thing i think i was thinking about when you were telling the story about the um ids you know the people who were doing that were probably looked like they were working with the germans but at the same time they were they were resisting and utilizing what they could from whatever job they had. I don't know. I don't know what I do. I, I would hope that I would be courageous like your mother. That's what I would hope is that I would do the right thing and that I would be courageous like your mother. Yes, that's what I've always hoped for too is her strength and her courage. And I don't feel very courageous most of the time, but I try to own up to it. Yeah, well, you know, we don't know until we're really put to the test, right? Yeah, I always said that I'd be like her sister. I'd be in the cellar during the whole war. <laughs> yeah, probably me too. <laughs> so what about the, now the older, who's, it was your, was it your father's sister? In this part of the interview, we return to a story that if you haven't listened to part two of the Odette Wynn interview, you might be a little bit lost. So I suggest that you actually listen to the whole series from episode one on because they build on each other. Who sacrificed herself for him so he could be released? Yes. And what was what happened to her? What was the trajectory of her life? What happened to her after the war? Um, she actually ended up marrying a German soldier. Did you hear me gasp? I totally did not see that twist coming. What? <laughs> I know. Everybody is shocked about that. I was shocked. I just found out about that in Washington. But she uh, had three, four children. And Suli is the one I met when at my dad's funeral. And uh, she did well. She didn't talk about what happened during the war. So they stayed very close. He called his sister his angel, his guardian angel. But she lived a normal life, married a German soldier. and So they came, she came to the United States too? No, they still live in Belgium. Oh, okay. Yeah, in a suburb of Brussels. You know, we are pretty resilient if we believe in just moving ahead, doing the next right thing. I think human beings can be extremely resilient. And I think our families uh, definitely speak to that. They definitely illustrate that. This is a lot of heavy stuff. I feel like I, I, 
feel a heaviness, you know, but I'm just so grateful that we were, we were able to connect. We're able to have, now it's digitally recorded and that this, that knowledge, you have so much knowledge about your family. Well, so, I do have one question uh, that I want to kind of end with. Is there one story about the war and your mother's experience that sticks out to you? that really sticks out to you and why does that story stick out to you above the others? I believe it's the one where my grandmother, you know, they had ration tickets and they had to go into the town hall once a month, I guess, to get their new ration tickets. And um, my grandfather was prisoner of war at the time. So it was just my grandmother and the four kids. Her mother had to go in to get the ration tickets for that month. So the whole family walks to the town and my grandmother uh, asked my mom to keep the, the two youngest kids with her. And she went in with uh, Julienne, which was the second to the oldest, my mom being the oldest. While they were inside, a bomb bombed the town center. My mother and the two youngest ones were, you know, right at the outskirts. Of course, they felt and, and heard the bomb like everybody else and scattered. But then they were looking for their mother and couldn't find her, couldn't find her, couldn't find her. Everybody's, you know, walking out of the building. They're looking at everybody as they're walking out. They're still not seeing her. So they go on the road heading towards their home. And my mom decides there's still people, you know, walking by, let's stop and look. Well, my grandmother walked right past them. My mother only recognized her from her shoes. She was completely black with soot along with Julianne, and shell-shocked. She didn't know she was walking past her own family. My mother had to go grab her by the arm and direct her back to their house. And it said it was several hours before her mother could hear or speak again. Oh my God, that was a close call. Very close call. Thank God they survived. I don't know how they survived, but you know, they did. The, the bomb apparently was supposed to mean meant for the center of the building or whatever, and it hit just the corner. So a lot of people actually survived, but there were a lot of injuries and a lot of deaths as well. So what is it about that story that speaks to you? I tried to put my mom, myself in my mom's position during the time that she couldn't find her mother, probably thinking... I've got my two younger siblings. We're the only ones left, you know. I can't imagine the the feelings a 16-year-old yeah. would have gone through at that. Okay. All right. Well, you take care and stay safe and healthy. You too. And you can reach out to me anytime if you think of anything, and I'll do the same. Okay. Sounds All good. Right. Love care. you, cousin. Love you, you too. too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that concludes the final episode of the Odette Wynn interview. I can't say enough how grateful I am that we were able to connect on this level. There was a lot of heaviness, emotional heaviness, but at the same time, I learned a lot. And I know this might sound kind of weird. It's as if I found a piece of myself I have believed for a long time now we carry our ancestors' experience. I don't know if it's in our DNA or through the subtlety of behavior and child rearing, 
But I do believe strongly that we carry these experiences within us. This conversation with Odette was shining the light on those experiences that I didn't know about, and yet somehow inside of myself I knew and recognized with each reclaimed story of our family's shared history. Like I said in the beginning, this is a supplemental limited series podcast that is meant to accompany the soon-to-be-released documentary. Stay up to date with the latest news on the documentary as well as the podcast on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. All those actions bump us up in the algorithms of the website, which in turn makes it easier for people to find us. 